This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. Welcome to the City of God podcast, where we are weekly exploring today's biggest cultural issues all through the lens of God's infallible word. I'm Rob Pacienza, and I am joined by my co-host, John Rabe. John, great to see you today. Great to see you, Rob. Thanks for having me, as always. And I am particularly excited today because our guest on this podcast is one of my absolute favorite people in the entire world. Yeah, Dr. Erwin Lutzer. Uh, He was down here at Coral Ridge for our annual Kingdom Come Conference, had the opportunity to bring him up to the podcast suite to pick his brain and to explore uh, various issues concerning uh, the church today. And he's been a friend of our ministry for a long time, a friend of Dr. Kennedy, our founder, been on our television programming, Truth to Transform, many times in the past, but uh, first time on the City of God podcast. Yeah, we're we're excited to get him for the podcast as well. And as you pointed out uh, on our television program through D. James Kennedy Ministries, Truths That Transform, he's been a regular guest of ours. I've gotten the opportunity to be with Dr. Lutzer many times uh, at the National Religious Broadcasters Conference. He's yep. come down here a number of times. And he's the reason that he appears so often with us is because this is a guy who truly gets it. He is, uh, anybody who's heard him on the radio, and millions have, know what an excellent preacher he is, but he does not shy away from the cultural controversies that are are surrounding us. He's not primarily known for those, but he goes after them because he's a man who teaches and preaches the Bible, and so he's really covering some important stuff right now. He's an incredible speaker, radio host, author. Um, He is the pastor emeritus of Moody Church in Chicago, written countless books. His latest book is No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture, which I highly recommend to our listening audience. Also, if you can go back to his talk he delivered on the Saturday of our Kingdom Come conference, it was absolutely brilliant. I think he listed six or seven ways in which we really need to be aware of what's going on in our culture and what we can do about it as the people of God armed with the word of God. It was an absolutely uh, brilliant talk and uh, also just uh, just so grateful uh, for his voice and his leadership uh, in this culture and uh, for what he's doing for the church. Amen. And a thing I really appreciate about appreciate about Irwin as well is this is a guy now who's 80, 81, 82 years old. He's in his early 80s, and he's still just going and going. He he has a charge from God, and so he's writing, he's traveling, he's preaching, and he's just determined to leave it all out on the field, and we are the beneficiaries of that. Absolutely. In our podcast, uh, we, when we had the opportunity to interview him, we talked about uh, the uniqueness of the Bible. We talked about America's rich Christian heritage and how the Judeo-Christian worldview uh, informed the foundation of the Constitutional Republic and the Great American Experiment. We talked about the dangers of what happens uh, when you remove God from the public square, the, the dangers of what happens and the implications of a culture that is moving towards secularism and away from God. And then lastly, uh, he gave a strong word uh, and a challenge to parents and to uh, the next generation. So just uh, once again, grateful for our time together with him. And uh, John, uh, without further ado, let's uh, check out our interview with Dr. Erwin Lutzer. 
Dr. Erwin Lutzer, so grateful to have you on the City of God podcast, where we're talking about today's cultural issues all through the lens of God's infallible word. You have done many things in your ministry career. Um, you are the pastor emeritus of Moody Bible Church, which obviously uh, named for the great evangelist D.L. Moody. Tell us a little bit about that church, its uh, importance in church history, and what it was like being the pastor. Now, just imagine, Rob, Moody Church began because when D.L. Moody brought children into the existing churches, they were so rowdy that the churches didn't want them. So Moody had to begin his own church that was in 1864. But the Great Chicago Fire came several years later, and so that church burned down, then there was another one, temporary, temporary church, and then where Moody Bible Institute is today, there was a wonderful building. But when LaSalle Street was widened, they had to move to its present location. And that building, which I think is one of the most gorgeous churches in all the world with uh, Byzantine architecture, was dedicated in 1925. Now, since you mentioned Moody Church, I want to tell you a story. How did I get there? That's maybe your next question Absolutely. anyway. Sure. <laughs> I was pastor of a small Baptist church. How I ended up there is all the providence of God. In fact, my whole life has been nothing but the providence of God. So I was leaving there in 1977 to teach full-time at Moody Bible Institute, and I was studying philosophy and I needed to study for my comps, okay? So they have a farewell service for us at the end of March. We wake up with the, in the next Sunday without a church to go to. Where shall we go to church? I wanted to go to a different church, but my wife Rebecca said, let's go to Moody Church. Rob, I don't know how it is in your marriage, but whenever I hear the voice of God, it sounds an awful lot like Rebecca. So we end up going to Moody Church. We have only two kids. I drop them off. There's no parking. Endless cars. There's a parking lot several blocks away. I said, I'll meet you in the lobby if I can find a parking spot. Lo and behold, in front of me, a guy pulls out. Well, I think, wasn't well, that nice? I back in 100 feet from the door. As I am in the lobby, Wearsby, the pastor, is walking away with his coat on. Mm. I said, Wearsby, where are you going? It's 10 minutes before the service. Erwin Lutzer, I'm sick. I'm on my way home. I want you to preach for me this morning. Mm. Wow. So the first time we ever attended a service at Moody Church, I preached at Moody Church. That is the providence of God. That is the providence of <laughs> God. Amazing. And that became one of the dominoes that God set up by which eventually I would be the pastor. My whole life can be explained by the providence of God. As a matter of fact, I wrote my autobiography and it's entitled, He Will Be the Preacher. Because when I was in a baby, when I was a baby sleeping in a crib, it was at that time that the pastor's wife came over and said to my mother in German, he will be the preacher. Now, it may have been an offhand remark, but it turned out to be true. But my whole life has been nothing but stories of God's providence. That's why from my heart, I try to take no credit for anything I've ever done, because it all has to do with God. It's just him and he alone gets the glory and all the credit because of his faithfulness. 
That's awesome. Amen. It, it, it usually works exactly the opposite with me. Like when I come to this podcast, Rob usually has security haul me out. Today's the <laughs> first day I've actually been able to remain. So I'm excited to be here uh, with Doc, the great Dr. Erwin Lutzer. I'm curious, though, you uh, your title is professor or excuse me, pastor emeritus. But you have stayed very much engaged uh, in the, the state of the church, the state of Christianity in America today. And you have some real concerns about where we're at as a culture and where we're at as a church right now. Uh, as you as you enter this phase of your ministry, what does the Lord put on your heart to address? And, and why do you keep pushing ahead? And why do you keep addressing these issues when a lot of people would say, you know what, I've done my work. It's time for me to go sit on a beach somewhere. Well, maybe someday I will sit on the beach here in Fort Lauderdale. Might be a good place. <laughs> maybe later this afternoon. I'll but take not care yet. But not yet. I'm only 81. Mm. And uh, the good thing about old age is it doesn't last very long, <laughs> but I want to be faithful to the end. But in answer to your question, I transitioned to Pastor Emeritus in 2016. Since that time, our ministry, our media ministry has grown. Running to Win mm. is now in 20 different countries in four different languages, and we just signed to go on in other languages, all to the glory of God. I thought it would die out. But in addition to that, I'm doing an awful lot of traveling. For example, this month, I will have been out of the city preaching four different times. Mm. We're on our way to Albania in about two weeks. So oh. as long as God gives me health and strength. Now, I do have to say that my father lived to 106, my mother to 103. I always say that my parents lived so long that I'm sure until my father died, all of their friends in heaven thought that they just didn't make it. You know, they said... <laughs> <laughs> Where are the Lutzers? But the Lutzers made it. But in answer to your question, I want to spend the rest of my life, as God gives strength, helping the church think through this question, what does faithfulness look like in a nation that is collapsing morally, politically, spiritually? What does that look like? Mm. So... I'm trying to help people think that through, through a biblical lens. To give a very practical example, somebody sent me a text the other day and say, said, can a Christian sign this? Now, he's in an organization, he's in a business, and uh, it says, you know, everybody can have their own identity, yada, yada, yada. And then it says, you have to be willing to call people by their preferred pronouns. No. And I said to him, if Bert wants to be called Betty, you can do that because names aren't gendered. But you can't call Bert a she mm. and have a good conscience. So those are the kinds of issues that I try to deal with to help people think through. We won't have time to discuss it. But for example, in my book, No Reason to Hide, I discuss the question of what should parents say to a child who comes home from school and says, you know, I think I'm trans. Mm. So these are the issues. Now, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I am writing another book, which shouldn't, shouldn't be too great a surprise. <laughs> but it's going to be on the eclipse of God and what I want to show is that, well, let me give you this. The Economist had, a, had an article entitled, Nearer My God to Me. Mm -hmm. What it was saying is, 
God is becoming as liberal as we are. He's accepting everything that we're accepting. So we are of a God. So what I'm showing is that unless we get back to a biblical view of God, we have no foundation for morality, for all kinds of things. I'm explaining why the cathedrals in Europe are empty, hmm. but all that for another interview, not today, but for some other time. So let's go back to No Reason to Hide. Yeah. So in No Reason to Hide, you, you depict America as a nation in a spiritual freefall. We didn't get there overnight. Explain from your words and your perspective how we got to this point. There are several cultural streams that I think created this. Of course, we often talk about cult cultural Marxism, and that's a good thing to talk about because cultural Marxism says we can have socialism, but without the revolution that we had in uh, China or Russia. And so what you want to do is to capture the institutions. And so what's happened is this, of course, has captured the hearts of many people in our universities who teach. And so young people come out. And not only that, you have Marxist ideology, even when it comes to free speech. I mean, if a conservative speaks on campus, you know what happens. There's a riot. Sure. And this riot happens because we are developing snowflakes who, if they hear something they disagree with, have to go into a safe place <laughs> yeah. to nurture their wounds of their unappreciated victimhood. <laughs> this is not the America that I even knew when I came from Canada. I was born and raised in Canada, became an American citizen mm. a number of years ago, have been here for 40 years. When I was in college... You could put forth any view and people could shoot it down and they would listen or if they didn't want to listen, they didn't have to. So we have created a whole culture. So you have that. You have feminism, which had many good aspects to it, but it created this whole sexual culture mm. where, of course, today feminism is a whole different thing that we could discuss because of transgenderism. But as a result of that, you have abortion, you have the intrusion of um, Darwin. Darwin said in one of his lectures that we are really, the baboon is our grandfather, okay? Now, Pastor Rob, if the baboon is our grandfather, what argument can there be against uh, abortion, mm. killing preborn infants? Mm. What argument can there be about euthanasia? There can't be, we do this with animals, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, what argument can there be with infanticide? So what you have is the devaluation of human life. And what we as Christians must proclaim, and what I try to help people to understand is, we are not different in animals only in degree, but actually in kind. Mm. What that means is we're created in the image of God. We are different we share some things with the animals, but we are different. And so those were the arguments come, the preciousness of human life. So you have these various strands that have infiltrated a nation. But also, when a nation forgets God, they can go in so many different directions because... Let's always remember, truth for all of its power, there's only one way to be right, two plus two is equal to four, but many ways to be wrong. Mm. So what you have is the introduction of spirituality, 
which is disconnected from doctrine and so forth. And all of these forces have invaded our culture and we're reaping the results. I'm so glad you said that. I mean, in a culture, in a society that has removed God from the public square, when the assault on the humanity and the image of God in all people has been taken out of the conversations in our educational institutions, on in the mainstream media, on social media, we, we should not be surprised when we see the fruit of what is happening in our nation and our society right now. That's right. Could I, since we're talking about my book, No Reason to Hide, sure. could I talk about propaganda, which happens uh, to be an interest of mine? Of course. <laughs> I became interested in propaganda when I wrote a book about Hitler, because Hitler said that with the right use of propaganda, you can make heaven appear like hell and hell appear like heaven. Mm. Okay. So in my book, I discuss six or seven ways that language is being used today to push certain propaganda ideas. Now, remember, the purpose of propaganda is to so shape people's view of reality that even when confronted with a mountain of evidence, they will not change their minds. So how is this done? Well, it's done by herd instinct. We certainly saw that even during the COVID experience. It is done through the media where you have this cultural stream that is so powerful that people can't st even stand against it. But let me give you one example that I give of propaganda. I quote the speech codes of one of our universities that says you can't use freshman, you can't use that word, you can't use this word and that word. And then it says, if there's a barber shop in your area, don't say that he takes in walk-ins because you might offend people that can't walk. After all, there are people who are in wheelchairs. Now, what we need to do at a time like that is to take a deep breath and ask ourselves this question. What is going on there? The intention is not to elevate the discussion. It is to silence the discussion. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows what is appropriate. Yeah. Can we still go into a restaurant and ask for a menu? <laughs> Can a woman still have a manicure? <laughs> Nobody knows. That's why college students, especially Christian college students, are constantly self-censoring themselves. Absolutely. Because they have no idea what's appropriate. They may say something inappropriate. Yep. And then they will be vilified for yeah, it. Yeah, and, and not only do we see this in a purely secular state and a secular culture, we're even seeing this inside the North American church mm -hmm. in what has been called progressive Christianity, where they use the terms, and I think that's what's so sinister about the progressive Christianity movement. They use the terms that we might use, but redefine them. Mm. In my book, I give an example. It's a true example of a church that was quite unified. I love to speak about the racial issues because at Moody Church on any Sunday morning, we had more than 70 countries of origin represented. And we delighted in that because it says in Revelation 5, there are going to be people from every tongue and every nation and so forth. Yeah. What has happened, though, is critical race theory pulls at that. So I use the example of a church that was unified. They worshiped together. They learned together. They were working together. And suddenly this pastor, who was a white pastor, began to fear that he might be seen as a racist. So he began to divide people on the basis of race. Mm. And the unity 
that we should have in Christ was broken. Now, we could go into critical race theory in detail, but I want to give all of your listeners a single sentence, and that is this. Critical race theory keeps tearing apart what Jesus died to bring together. Mm. We are unified, Jews, Greeks, barbarians, Scythians, it says in Colossians. So Jews don't become Greeks, Greeks don't become barbarians. We keep our ethnicities, but there's a transcendent unity that we need to work toward, recognizing evils and injustices, but we work toward that. Critical race theory says, let's not walk toward each other, let's walk apart from each other and in different directions. Absolutely. This fear of speaking the wrong way, of saying the wrong thing, seems to me to be actually be part of the goal. And you've written on, um, for instance, cultural Marxism. This is something that we've talked about and addressed in our ministry. Cultural Marxism is one of those things that the the mainstream media and the left will say, "Oh, that's a that's a right wing bogeyman. That's not a that doesn't exist. That's just a talking point made up on the right." But the reality is, there is a Marxist movement that we can trace that came up with all these ideas, all the critical exactly. theories that we have. This is not just a figment of the conservative Christian imagination, is it? It certainly isn't. And you have the Frankfurt School in Germany, mm -hmm. which picked up Marxism and turned it into a cultural battle where you have a battle for all of the institutions and you take them over bit by bit. And eventually you have a Marxist state, but everybody's happy. Because, you see, there was no bloody revolution. As uh, Gramsci discovered when he went to Russia, people hated their ruler. Well, how do you get a Marxist state without people hating their ruler? You do it bit by bit, inch by inch, on tiptoe, until you capture these institutions. You know, all of us know that... Uh, Monuments have been destroyed here in America. Very, very difficult to see. But one thing is sure. No one will ever destroy a Marxist monument. You know that um, the uh, dead white men of the Enlightenment, they're being taken out of our libraries. Nobody is going to touch Karl Marx. So even though he was a racist, I mean, he used the N-word and he, he was writing in German, but he deliberately used the N-word in English. Hmm. But that's okay because after all, it's Karl Marx, right? So you have this fascination with Marxism. And one of the reasons for the fascination is because Marx believed that the only reason that people do evil is because of oppression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody's basically good. If you want people to do good, just lift the oppression. Now, there is oppression, obviously, but his answer has been the destruction of countries. In other words, and we see this tripling down, right down to our culture. Defund the police. Yep. Defund the police because police are oppressors. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do is to get rid of them and furthermore, you know, open the jails. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't have any oppression, you know, Marx said eventually even the state and the laws will wither away. Mm -hmm. ah, Pastor, the Bible is so accurate. We should never lose sight of its accuracy. Amen. I'm so glad you said that. It 
places the responsibility on the wicked human heart. That's why some of the worst criminals are those who aren't oppressed. They're very wealthy Mm -hmm. because evil has to be brought. The same thing when you talk about systemic racism. Yes, of course, there's racism in systems. Mm -hmm. But racism is a matter of the heart. And so what we have to do is to help people to understand that the biblical view of humanity can be proven every time you pick up a newspaper, although we don't pick up newspapers anymore, every time you turn on the television, you can see the evil of the human heart. And Jesus said this so clearly. And that's why the gospel, which goes to the heart of the matter, is so necessary because we have to see that it is transforming of people with the new nature and so forth. And that's why we always come back to being uh, led by the gospel. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because my I, I lament every time I hear a pastor say there's things we can glean from critical theory mm. that are helpful for our churches and yeah. for our people. And I want to say, are you kidding me? You clearly don't understand the roots, as you just articulately stated, that rooted in Marxism, therefore pitting people against each other, uh, denying the unity that we have in Christ that can only come through Christ. It was the Apostle Paul who said in Ephesians 2 that Christ destroyed the wall of hostility, not critical theory or certainly not critical race theory. And so I think it's important for our listeners to hear that the gospel and the gospel alone, as it's proclaimed in the Old and New Testaments, alone is the answer for our culture and our nation. Amen. Amen. Well, Dr. Lutzer, we uh, are so grateful for you and your ministry. And as you you look at the, the the lay of the church now, we'll wrap up with this, but uh, we have lots of different kinds of people who listen to this, but you're just speaking to Rob, you're speaking to me, speaking to pastors. What do you want pastors to know? What What's the thing that you want to, to say to a pastor right now as he leads his people at this time and in this cultural moment? And you want that answer? In, in about, about 30 seconds, about maybe 25 if you could. Maybe 25. <laughs> First you of can all, take, you can take a little longer. First of all, as a pastor, I feel your pain. On the one hand, you want to be very nice and welcoming, okay? And you're living in an age in which niceness is more important than being right. So pastors want to be nice. They want to be welcoming. They don't want to unnecessarily offend. I get that because I am a pastor. I understand that. But on the other hand, what you have to do is to say, look, I, as a pastor, and I'm speaking personally, I've never endorsed a political candidate or a political party. But to be faithful, you have to speak about issues that today are deemed political because everything is political. Mm -hmm, Abortion is political. Same-sex marriage is political. You know, critical race theory is all political. Whether or not parents should have responsibility for what is being taught in their schools, that's political. Sure. So what you have to do is to speak to these issues and help people receive guidance and the challenge of what do we do when a nation collapses. I wrote the book, No Reason to Hide, not in order to recapture the culture, 
but to recapture the church. Mm. And what the church has to do is to stand against the culture. All of us know that the church has always been an island of righteousness and a sea of paganism. So if you read the seven letters to the church at Revelation, the seven letters, what is Jesus always saying? He's not talking too much about the culture per se, except as the culture has come into the church. Mm. And so five of the seven letters say, repent. And uh, that's really my heart in answer to your question is we need to lead people to genuine repentance. And we need to begin with the people of God. And then we need to instruct them as to how to live in this culture, but always gospel driven. Mm. All right. I'm going to squeeze in one more question. Do it. Uh, because we not only have pastors and ministry leaders listening to this podcast, but young families, and they're looking at the future. They're looking at their young children being raised in this generation. What words of encouragement do you have for oh, our Christian yes. families listening? Mm. Well, first of all, I have an admonition before I get to any words of encouragement. I would say to every parent listening, God is going to hold you accountable for the education of your children. And what culture is saying is the same thing that Hitler is saying. I'm sorry if I shouldn't say that because that might say that you're just inciting something. But Hitler told the people, parents, clothe the child, feed the child, but the heart of the child is going to be given to the Reich. Today, parents feed the child, they clothe the child, they take care of the child, but social media has their hearts because it's almost instantly addictive. So what you have is a two-pronged challenge. Number one, social media, which of course leads many kids into pornography and God knows what else. On the other hand, you have the public school system. Now, I don't know how it is here in Florida, but in my book, I refer to what's happening in Illinois. Pastor, it's pornography in its most perverted form is taught as normal. Yep. You cannot take your precious children and throw them to wolves. Mm. So what you have to do is to ask yourself, I want my child to be educated. Of course, there are faith-based schools. We get that. Maybe that doesn't work for you. But homeschooling is becoming easier and easier. You know, some of our children, they belong to these pods where you have somebody who's an expert in chemistry teaching chemistry, somebody who can do math and physics is teaching a larger group. Work something out. If you are in the public school and you say, well, my school is still decent and there are some that are still out there based on some kind of values. Do what Tony Evans once said. He said, whenever our kids from, came home from school, we deprogrammed them for what they have just been taught. <laughs> Stay on top of it. God is going to hold you accountable. Your most precious gift is your children. And Jesus said, of such are the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Take good care of them because you're responsible for their education. That's a good word. Dr. Erwin right. Lutzer, it's a privilege to have you on the Thank City you. of God podcast. Thank you so much. God bless you. 
Thank you for listening to the City of God podcast made in partnership with the Institute for Faith and Culture. This is a weekly podcast, so please make sure that you check out all previous episodes at cityofgodpodcast.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. This is recorded through video every week as well, so you can check out the video version of the City of God podcast on our YouTube page. Make sure that you share this podcast if it was helpful to you, uh, to family, friends, or anyone else who wants to explore today's cultural issues through the lens of God's infallible word. Thank you once again for joining us on the City of God podcast, and may God richly bless you.